Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Last weekend was UFC in Sacramento, and we will be talking about all of the action, including both the co-main event and the main event in their possible early stoppages. And speaking of early stoppages, we'll also be talking to Smiling Sam Alvey and about all of the issues he's been having with Mark Goddard in his last two fights. We'll be talking about that, as well as his fight in UFC in San Antonio. And speaking of UFC in San Antonio, we'll be breaking down that card and talking to Mario Batista, who's also fighting this weekend. Uh, All of that, plus we're going to be talking about our title predictions from early on in the year. That's right, me and Shockwave Dave made title predictions early in the year, and we want to hold ourselves accountable, so you guys are going to get to hear all that went down way back in January. But before we get to any of that content, I gotta remind you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com and use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, for 20% off your whole order. And let me tell you something. When you go to ADKFightwear.com, you are not just getting cheap fightwear. That's right. You're not just getting cheap fightwear, but you are getting high-quality stuff. And there is very few places online where you can buy high-quality and cheap jiu-jitsu gear. And now you can get it even cheaper. 20 or 20% cheaper as much as 15 20 bucks off depending on what your order is. Let me tell you something. You're going to want to head on over to ADKFightwear.com. Check out their whole line right now. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumpy Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Smiling Sam Alvey, who fights Clitson Abreu at UFC in San Antonio this weekend. Sam, before we get to talking about that fight, I do want to talk about the last couple of fights because it's been a little bit of hard luck for Smiling Sam. Uh, Back-to-back losses, both with kind of weird stoppages. I want to start by talking about the little nog finish because, you know, it looked like you were shooting a takedown at the end of that fight. Looking back at it, do you feel it was justly stopped? Absolutely not. Uh, I was rocked, and that's not against the rules in MMA. Uh, and if you look, I was shooting a takedown. I got the takedown, and they stopped it. If I was that badly damaged, why, why would I have gotten a takedown against one of the best grapplers in, in MMA? Uh, now, that being said, maybe I would have gotten down. Maybe I would have got subbed because he is one of the best grapplers in MMA. But it wasn't done yet. I was recovering. I was doing everything I could. I was intelligently defending myself above all else. And, uh, you know, what? I, I, I shouldn't have gotten punched. My bad. I'll work on that for this next one. All right, and, and yeah, and I kind of got to mention the crew one, too, because I would say the crew one was maybe even more egregious, no? Yes, the crew one was the crew one was garbage. The crew one was, I, I was, uh, I'm still kind of upset about it. Uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was good punch. He got me once. I was bouncing back. I successfully took him down. Uh, he swept me. I was working on a sweep myself. Uh, my thumb was up, and uh, Mr. Mr. Goddard, uh, uh, stopped it again on me. Two yeah. in a row, Mark Goddard got me on. Yeah, and I was going to uh, say that, too. It was Mark Goddard back-to-back. Like, you know, I, I don't want you to say anything negative about a referee that can impact your future here, but, like, ha- have you had words with him about it? I Actually, after the Nogura fight, before the Crute fight, but at the Crute fight, I was talking to him, hey, you know, last time it was stopped a little early. I'm a guy. I can get hit. I like going, you know. And he said, all right, you know, if you're going to – he's always – 
he, he's British and he's real short with everything he says. It's kind of it's funny being the American that I am hearing that. But uh, he said, oh, no, it's fine. You know, it, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing a good job. If you feel like you're in trouble but not, not hurt, just put your thumb up and it'll be all good. <laughs> so I was in the, you know, I'm o- over 60 fights. I've never put my thumb up before. And he told me to do it. So I said, okay. So I was in uh, working on my improving my position with the, the crew, crew fight and uh, put my thumb up. And then he stopped it anyway. <laughs> like, oh, it just leaves a bad take. He's a great referee for everyone but me. That, that's what I've determined. <laughs> uh, oh, that is tough. Now, I, I want to talk to you. You took kind of a lot of time away in between fights here. Uh, after the, the crew fight, you know, it's been, you know, five, all, almost six months in between fights here. Um, or five and a half months, rather, in between fights here. Is it mostly due to just time recovering? Are you working on stuff? Or were you just waiting for them to call with another fight? No, I, I was actually just trying to not be mad at uh, Mark Goddard anymore. <laughs> I, I didn't want to go into go into camp pissed off about, you know, oh, I, I don't want to be the guy that says, well, I should have. It was him. It was, uh, no, I was just taking time off, so I wouldn't be complaining about that anymore. And I'm not. It's, it's over. It's done with. Bad call. It happens. Uh, I'll, I'll just do my best to never to make sure it never happens again. So are we going to see a more busy Sam Elvey towards the end of 2019, too? Does it, it seem like we're going to get a couple more out of you this year? Hell, yeah. Uh, it, it's only July. That gives me time for, like, three more fights this year. All right. We certainly love that. Now, I wanted to get a, your take on, on some of the stuff that's going on in your division right now. So, obviously, we're fresh off a, a really exciting title fight uh, between John Jones and Tiago Santos. What were sort of your thoughts on that fight? I... Tiago looked good, and John did not. John looked like a guy who just wanted to keep his title, not, not be the you know. It's funny they, the UFC, everyone in the UFC now is saying John Jones is the greatest of all time. He's the goat. He's this or that, and I can agree or disagree. Uh, but that performance from him wasn't a goat type performance. That was a, and, and every champion has had a fight like that uh, where they're just trying to win and not not prove they're the greatest of all time. Uh, and that was a fight where he was not trying to prove he's the greatest of all time. Hmm. Interesting. Now, I know you've been doing some training with Dominic Reyes uh, leading up to this fight, too. Do you think he might be next for uh, John Jones, or do you think he's got something else cooked up? I, I heard a rumor that Jones is calling him out, and Jones usually gets what he wants. Uh, so I, I would love to see Reyes get, his, get, you know, get, get, get that belt around his waist. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now, I too, I wanted to mention this. Obviously, training with Dominic Reyes is a big one, too, because you're about to fight Clidson Abreu, who, who there's no joke about. He, he goes right to the ground. He loves grappling. He swings a little bit, too, but he loves to shoot to the ground. Has Reyes sort of been your, like, go-to training partner for stuff in takedowns? I, I've got so many so many good takedown artists in this gym. Uh, Jesse Taylor, Jared Vendera has been one of my main training partners. Uh, Dom Reyes is just a stud everywhere, and he, he's been helping me out a bunch. Uh, Jamal Progus. I say his last name wrong every time. Stormtrooper, Jamal the Stormtrooper. Uh, I, I've had so many good guys helping me out with this camp that uh, I, I, I'm really in a good spot with for this fight. Are, are you excited, too, that this one's going to be in the U.S., too? Because, you, you know, you've been away from home a little bit over the last couple of fights, you know, the last one being in, in Melbourne. Do, do you sort of – is it easier to prepare for one that's close by? It, it makes no difference to me. Uh, it's just as easy going to Australia as it will be to to go to Texas. Uh, the big difference is this is this is my 18th fight in the UFC. This is going to be the first fight 
where I am the hometown guy. And it's not my hometown, but it's my home country. Uh, so I fought in the U.S. a few times, but it's like I fought in Denver. I fought Nate Marquardt, who's from Denver. I fought in New York. I fought Gian Vellante, who's from New York. I fight in Australia, Brazil, Poland. I'm always fighting the hometown hometown guy. And this time it's gonna be it's gonna be fun having having the the crowd cheer me from from the second they hear my music. Well, I will say too that while while you say that while you say that you know you're the type of guy who's who's been not the away fan so, or the away person so to speak, but but at that fight in even in like Utica, I was there in Utica. The fans were still going nuts for you. Do you feel that you win over a lot of fans during fight week? I do. Even Brazil, the most notorious fans in all of MMA. Uh, when I fought uh, Nogueira a little bit, but when I fought uh, Cesar, which was in Brazil, that uh, they cheered for me at the end of the fight. Uh, that there's something something about my big grin, I guess, that that rubs people the right way. All right. Well, we're going to see your big grin this weekend in UFC San Antonio. I was wondering if you could give us a prediction. How does this fight with Clinton Abreu end? I'm going to say third round submission. Third round. What I get on him. Third round submission. So you're going to go for the sub. Now I, I got to ask too. Now obviously a follow up without giving up too much of your game plan. Do you plan on taking him down or a reactive submission? I, we're going to see what happens. I'm willing to do anything that that it takes. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. Smiling Sam LV fights Clinton Abreu at UFC in San Antonio this weekend. Sam, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. This is Daniel Gumby for England with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Mario Batista, who fights Jinsu Sun at UFC in San Antonio this weekend. So, Mario, I was combing through your record, which is a pretty damn impressive record when you look at it all together. And I noticed that after your amateur career and before your pro career, there was a four-year gap there. What was the reason for that? Uh, well, the gym that I was originally training at back in Nevada, um, it got shut down. So I was just kind of like in limbo. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. And there was no other gyms in my town. It's uh, about a 5,000 population town. So, uh, you know, it took a, you know a couple years to get the money to leave the town and then come here to the MMA lab, and then uh, a couple more years to, you know, get get training. Uh, I took another amateur fight here. I don't know if that's on record. Um, and then, uh, then yeah, and then went pro. So that's that's uh, that gap there. So uh, just out of curiosity, what, what caused it to get shut down? Was it there just not enough people going to it? Was it, you know, a small gym owner couldn't keep it up? What, what was sort of the reason behind it? I think the gym owner had his own like personal problems, and then uh, just one day up and up and left, and, and closed down the gym just just randomly within a day, just closed down the gym. So it was uh you know it was, we didn't get a heads up. So um, and and that's his personal deal. I don't know what was going on with him, but yeah. And, and was the plan the whole time there to go to the MMA lab? Like, did you know that that was the, the place where you were planning on going? Or were you just sort of saving up and trying to figure out, uh, you know, somewhere to go? You know, I, I honestly didn't have a plan um, when I was training there. And then uh, once the gym got shut down, that made me think, like, my next step. And, and I'm glad it happened, you know, because then otherwise I probably would have never left the town and, you know, made it to where I am. Um, but at the time, I didn't have a plan, and once that happened, I knew I had to make some changes and uh, start looking around, and we decided to come to Phoenix. 
Well, and that certainly worked out for you, too. Now, obviously, this is the first time you're going to have a, a full fight camp for a fight in the UFC, too. How has that sort of treated you different, getting a, the full fight camp effect for uh, for UFC in San Antonio? Uh, it's awesome, man. It, it's, uh, you know, it, it makes me more confident with the training. You know, once I get, you know, six weeks, they told me nine weeks out going fighting, and I had, you know, a full camp. And even in, you know, my fights, my professional fights i've only i think only two fights i had prior to the ufc where i did have full camps and those other ones were short notices or you know something something along those lines so uh but i feel great man i feel i feel ready to go i'm I'm confident and i'm just ready well and i, I do want to talk about that first short notice fight too because you took that fight on nine days notice against Corey sandhagen who's now a top 10 bantamweight and, and really pushing in on the top five what are sort of your thoughts on that fight looking back? Like, obviously, it's the one that got you into the UFC, but is there anything you wish you had done differently about the whole thing? Um, maybe just game planned a little bit better, but, you know, w- with that short of time, it's it's hard to make adjustments, you know. You kind of have to go in with the skills that you have and, and then just kind of put it out there and it's just to roll the dice at that point. Um, so... Yeah, there, there wasn't much I could do. Yeah, obviously, yeah, and it's, it's important to be able to get into the UFC, too, as well. It, it also wound up being the first fight on ESPN ever. What, what was that like? Oh, that was that was pretty crazy. I didn't even know that until, I think, Fight Week, once I got there, that I realized it was going to be the first fight on that ESPN card, so, ever. So, it was, uh, it didn't really add too much pressure to it, but uh, just realizing the, the importance of it and how... It'll always be in history, so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. That's that's true. Mario Batista is now the answer to a trivia question. Now, uh, I want to ask you a couple more questions about the lab because uh, obviously some great things happening over there. Now, just a, a Tuesday or two ago on the Contender Series, uh, we saw two of your your teammates win contracts, both Jonathan Pierce and Hunter Azure both picked up uh, contracts on that show. What's sort of the environment around, like, the lab right now, uh, especially seeing as those types of things are going on? Is there a big watch party when you guys uh, when you guys watch stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. Like, the gym the gym, the gym, gym room kind of shuts down. You know, class kind of stops. We're just watching it up on the big screen right there. And, you know, it just the energy in, the energy in the lab right now is just, it's just so high right now, you know, Hunter and JP winning those fights. And then David Mashad winning his PFL fight last night. Uh, we're just, we're just all high right now. And, you know, up, I'm up next. So uh, I want to keep it going for us. Yeah. And it, I was going to ask too, with, with all of those big fights, you know, two guys getting their UFC contracts, a guy making a huge step towards a million dollar prize is there more pressure to be the one keeping that going or, or is it just, uh, is it easier to build momentum using that? Oh, it's easier to build momentum. I just, uh, you know, it just shows that we're, you know, that we're at a top level, you know, and uh, we're one of the best gyms in the world. So it just gives me more confidence to go out there and, and perform. Now, now I want to talk about the fight itself too, because you're fighting Jin Su Sun, uh, who also kind of had a, a rough luck in his in his UFC debut. He took a short notice fight against Peter Yan, who is also way up there in your division now. So you know you guys are, are kind of coming into this the same way. He is much more of a free swinging striker. He he's like smiles as he throws wild punches and stuff like that. 
how do you sort of deal with an opponent who has that kind of mentality in there? Um, I, I think try not to fall into his game. I think he's going to want me to, you know, fight the way he does. And I think that's how he wins his fight. So I'm just going to have to go out there and be smart, uh, be tactical, and then uh, just, just pick him apart, you know. And then um, and, and I think that's how I get it done. And, and so just out of curiosity, you know, I always try to pull a prediction out of my interviewees every single time we do it. If this does go exactly the way you want it, how do you predict the fight with Sun ends? Uh, it's going to be a tough fight, but if he's going to let him pick me apart or let, let me pick him apart, I think maybe end the second round, third round, maybe TKO. And if he's going to want to wrestle up, uh, I think I can catch him in submission, um, either round. So, uh, I'm hoping for a finish. I want to, I want to finish in my, in this fight for my, I'm picturing this as my UFC debut right here. All right, well, you're here to hear, folks. Mario Batista fights Jin Su-Song, looking for that end-of-second, early third-round finish at UFC in San Antonio this weekend. Mario, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And those interviews with Sam Alvey and Mario Batista are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social, is the one and only app to help you track your BJJ progress. Wait What's that? What are you saying? It is not just for the BJJ enthusiast anymore. It is for the martial arts enthusiast. Maroon Social is now an app on your smartphone that helps you track your boxing progress, your kickboxing progress, your Muay Thai progress, your your judo progress. Whatever it is that you train, Maroon Social wants to help you get better. And here's how they're going to do it. You're going to go to whatever app store you use, download the Maroon Social app. Once you have that, you can set up your profile, what your main style is, as well as maybe some of the other styles you train, your trainer, where you train, and your belt level. And they will help you keep track of every time you head to the gym so that you can track your week-to-week, your month-to-month, your year-to-year progress so that you are making the proper trajectory towards your MMA goals. I highly suggest it for anybody who does martial arts in any capacity, Maroon Social. Now, let's head on to the show. I'm Dan with Gumby Freeland, as always, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, how'd you feel about Smiling Sam Elvey's reason for his layoff? LOL, L-O fudging L, Sam Elvey's a funny mother trucker. <laughs> I love his reasoning for taking a little time off, and I agree with him on the early stoppages. Ridiculous that the guy, uh, Mark Goddard, said, give me a thumbs up. He gave him a thumbs up. He still got the stoppage. You know, I really truly believe you have to trust some of these veteran fighters, someone like Sam Alvey. If he's telling you, give me a little extra rope, give him a little extra rope. Especially a guy who's been in on like a ton of slugfests like Sam Alvey. And you don't want him to treat people differently, but like, uh, I mean, and I guess we're going to see when we talk about UFC Sacramento in just a second, like, you know, People do get treated differently. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it kind of leads us right into our favorite segment on the show, Fast Despite News. We deliver the news to you in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. There were some controversial finishes at UFC Sacktown. Uh, we'll start with the main event. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy stopping Aspen Ladd under a minute. Was this a controversial early stoppage to you? It 100% was an early stoppage. Aspen Ladd's not out there. There's no reason to stop that fight where they did. That being said, 
Okay, I'm, I am going to say, I, I was all in on Aspen Ladd in this fight. I thought Aspen Ladd had a really good chance, and she would be a really fun contender. I think even in just the short amount of time we saw it, you could see the holes that her striking have. And as a result, it, I think this is probably the best thing that could have happened for her. She didn't get beat to shit. She did get shown that she's like not as good of a striker as she thought she was. She's got a little bit of time to work back up to that Amanda Nunes fight. I always go back to GSP getting knocked out by Matt Sarah, a little overconfident, sort of overlooked him. Uh, and then, of course, he comes back, beats Matt Hughes, and then avenges the Matt Sarah loss. Uh, one year to the date. Aspen Ladd's still young. I think she'll bounce back from it. You know, the first punch that sent her down was pretty bad. I thought the lights might have went out for like a nanosecond. But she was clearly still fighting after that. Now, if you want to say a referee's going to have a short leash, so to speak, after a big shot like that, I get it. But in this case, all signs were pointing to the fact that Ladd was still in the game. Mm -hmm. The co-main event also had a controversial stoppage. Uriah Faber, back from the dead. Him and The Undertaker, both returning to combat sports this past weekend. Uh, he knocked out Ricky Simon, uh, TKO, I should say. Was that an early stoppage to you? I I'm going to say that that wasn't an early stoppage. Simone looked like he was pretty fucked up. But but here's another thing I will say, too. And, and while it wasn't, wasn't the same rough in, in both fights is that here's the difference, is that Simone being a guy who who made weight fairly easily, and we weren't panicked about how he made weight, and Simone being a man, I think is honestly what gave him two or three extra punches and the chance for me to say Faber actually knocked him out versus Aspen Ladd not getting that chance. Look, right, she looks shaky on the, the scales. You know, she's a 24-year-old woman. Like, we don't want to consider those types of things. But I think in this case, this is a really good example of why Simone got punched in the head a couple more times and we can walk away feeling confident and not so much with Aspen Ladd. Are you of the opinion that the ladies typically get a shorter leash and the men typically get more chances to respond to bad knockdowns. I, I think in some cases, I, I think that um, there are definitely instances of that. And obviously every referee is different. Um, but I think that there's something to just the fact that some referees want to jump in earlier. Look, look, it didn't happen in Amanda Nunes versus Cyborg. They could have stopped that fight fucking seven times before the, the walk-off knockout blow. So, like, clearly it's not, like, a, an easy catch-all statement to say that. But I'm saying if you take the average, most likely the average is, is too early for, for women and probably right on for men. I know what you're saying. I think it does depend on the ref. I'd love to see the stats broken down. Um, I mean, you know, it's escaping me right now. Maybe you could help fill the void. Didn't Shevchenko straight murder a girl like 80,000 un, you know, unresponded shots to the head down in Brazil? She, she did. So I, that, was it Priscilla Cachoeira that she, she beat? That, that sounds right. But, uh, so that would be an example where they let a girl turn into a pinata. But, but but there's a difference in those strikes too, right? Like that girl didn't get like lit up on the feet and try to recover on the ground. She got taken down and was being hit with, I wouldn't say the most deadly ground and pound you ever saw. You know, it wasn't uh, Roy Nelson on Kimbo Slice, but it, it was certainly also not something we would expect out of Habib either. So, like, 
I think because those shots were so soft, even though they were unanswered, I think that fight went on for then. Definitely went on too long. You're, you're right about that. Um, but I think that that's different than, like, the running in to stop the, like, flash KO. Well, speaking of things that are unexpected, uh, Ryan Hall's performance <laughs> from UFC Sacramento, he didn't get the sub. He got a unanimous decision victory over a, a game opponent, a very tough opponent, Darren Elkins. But Ryan Hall has some video game-style kicks to his arsenal that he's added. Ryan Hall is changing the game. Yeah, and you know what, too, though? I I went back and looked because I watched that fight, and I was like, when did Ryan Hall learn how to fucking kick, right? I was, like, shocked. But then it dawned on me, like, oh, we saw flashes of this at Gray Maynard. He actually threw some of those spinning hook kicks that landed on Gray Maynard. They weren't as powerful. They weren't as accurate. And they didn't stun Gray Maynard like they did fucking Darren Elkins, who was way harder to knock out than Gray Maynard. So, like... This is definitely an improvement in the work he's doing with Firaz Sahabi and, and Kenny Florian in his corner. Clearly is paying off. But, like, we've seen signs of this before, and, dude, he is turning into a very legit prospect at 45. It's, you know, it's such an interesting puzzle he's bringing, because now he, you know, has funky striking to match the insane grappling ability, the leg locks that scare people to death, He's like a Rubik's Cube of fighting at this point. And, you know, I think there was a lot of, I guess you could say, casual fan hate if you're not a student of the ground game or not into the submissions. And fuck you if that's the case. But, (laughs) you know, you can't call him boring anymore. I mean, I think even a casual fan would say, now that you're working in funky striking, he's one of the more exciting fighters to watch. I mean, he always was for a grappling nerd like you or I. But now he's an exciting fighter to watch for the whole family, I would say. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. He, he's definitely going to be uh, fun to watch for some time. Well, speaking of fun to watch, we have not seen Brian Ortega since he took a TKO loss to Max Holloway. Uh, really crazy fight. I mean, he took a ton of damage in that fight. That was back in December. Uh, but now the rumors are circulating. I don't know that UFC's made it official yet, but reports are everywhere that it's going to be him versus the Korean zombie in Mexico City. What a crazy fight. Sign me the fuck up, because that is such a fun fight. Uh, I I love it for so many different reasons. I mean, I love it because there's an element of, like, dudes who strike really fucking hard, right? Like, I mean, Brian Ortega knocked out... uh, he knocked out Frankie Edgar, which you're always going to have to give him credit for. And at the same time, freaking Max Clay Holloway. Guida too. Yeah, and, and, and Max Holloway, or uh, Chan Sung Jung goes out there and knocks out Hanato Moicano with a nasty overhand right. So, like, both dudes who absolutely throw bombs, and arguably their submission skills are far better than their their uh, striking skills, right? Like, Brian Ortega's grappling is amazing. Freaking Chan Sung Jung, Garis choked Dustin Poirier in the fourth round of their headliner. Like, uh, granted, that was a long time ago, but, like, holy shit, like, these two dudes are so fun to watch in every facet of the game, and, and I'm just pumped. I, I think, though, if Chan Sung Jung wins this, we might be talking about him versus Max Holloway, which is violence we all badly need. <laughs> 
Am I wrong in saying, and I can have the intern pull it up, did Zombie have a twister in the UFC? He Who did. am I thinking? He twisted Leonard Garcia in the rematch of their first fight. So their their first fight was at uh, WEC 48, which was a split decision win for Leonard Garcia in like a sloppy-ass slugfest that was so fun to watch. So when they came back into the UFC, everybody thought they were going to go sloppy-ass slugfest again. Fucking jujitsu clinic by fucking Chan Sung Chung. Well, speaking of sloppy-ass slugfests, uh, Bellator is doing a 16-man, 145-pound tournament, and our favorite prospect in Bellator, Aaron Pico, who has been on the the wrong end of two crazy fights, uh, his past two fights, gotten knocked out in both. He's not in the tournament. What do you make of that? Uh, I think it's smart by Bellator. It's unexpected because I expected him to just get jammed in there. But they took some names that were probably a little bit less prominent and squeezed them in instead, which I, I kind of love. Like, you know, obviously they were going to put the guy who beat Pico in, right? Adam Borix is, is in there. But, like, you know, I, I could have seen them squeezing Pico in instead of Pat Curran because, you know, Pat Curran's a little bit past his prime probably and you know nobody probably would have cried foul if Pat Curran wasn't in there you know they squeezed Saul Rogers in who was a would have been a tough finale um finalist if he didn't wind up you know having all kinds of trouble speaking of Ryan Hall weirdness he's got a win over Ryan Hall in the tough house so like he's clearly a more warranted person to be in the the tourney but I'm sort of surprised they did it so good for Bellator uh, we'll move to our last news item. It also concerns a non-UFC promotion <laughs> at Combates America making their uh, U.S. debut with a couple of known names, one being Tito Ortiz and the other being Alberto Del Rijo of WWE fame. Uh, you know, it might not be totally known, but he does have a shoot-fighting background, as they say in the world of pro wrestling. Actually, has a fight in pride against Mirko Krokup. <laughs> what do you make of this main event, and will you watch? Uh, I will not watch, and this is uh, the most 2019 Tito thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is just, I mean, Tito couldn't have drawn it up better himself. It's a dude who literally has a career made on fake trash talk, uh, and here's Tito Ortiz, uh right there to to jaw with you so it couldn't have worked out better for him yeah i mean i fully expect him to smash and uh it'll be an easy win for him but it's a big name it'll get a little bit of social media buzz on the weekend i however and i think you probably fall on this side of the coin uh i do not think this is actually the way to build an mma promotion I didn't really, I, I still don't like the way Bellator does this with aging fighters who are names. I get you kind of have to, mm-hmm. but I rather see a promotion go the WEC way, the Strike Force way, find talent that isn't signed by the UFC well, and, I, and build up your roster that way and, I think and make com- a name. And I think Combatus was doing a really good job on that too. Like, they were billing themselves as like, the promotion that was built on like uh you know like mexican fighters bolivian fighters venezuelan fighters and like that's brilliant like i love that like continue to to do that and build yourself as like that promotion and then they that now that seems like they're trying to make a big jump by doing something stupid and that's a little unfortunate 
Well, speaking of doing something stupid, at the beginning of this year, we <laughs> did a, uh, as we do most years, a prediction for champions at the end of the year. So we took all the current champions in January of 2019, and we asked ourselves, will they still be champions come December 2019? And being a little bit more than midway through the year, we thought it would be good to revisit those predictions and we can make fun of really how bad I am doing in this. So <laughs> let's do a review of our 2019 title predictions. But Gumby, one might wonder if any company sponsors this segment. Yeah, this segment is sponsored by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink, all with that mouthguard up in your mouth. And if you're interested in a mouthguard that allows you to do all of those things, head on over to their website, use the promo code TOPTURTLE15, and get 15% off all of your mouthguard purchases. All right, so let's start at the bottom and we'll work our way up. So we'll go from smallest weight to biggest. Uh, so Rose Nama Yunus is was <laughs> the 115-pound champion in January. Would she be champion at the end of the year? Gumby said no. Shockwave Dave said no. So we were both right on that one. But we were predicting Tatiana Suarez. Of course, Jessica Andrade got the nod. So I guess I'll just ask you now midway through the year, how do you feel about Jessica Andrade being champion come the end of the year? It's interesting. I would probably say no, uh, because it, mm-hmm. she's going to mm-hmm. fight uh, Veli Zhang, and I think Willie Zhang probably beats her uh, as long as she doesn't get knocked out. She's big. She's tough. She's more physical than Andrade. And, and it, I mean, if you've seen the the picture, like I think, too, like Welly Zhang is much bigger. So I still agree with that. And I know when we were debating this, we mostly said Tatiana Suarez. I think that pick might hold up if they, if she gets a title fight somewhere around December. Henry Cejudo, the 125 pound men's champion. Uh, Gumby, you said, yes, he would still be champion. I also said yes, but we talked a lot about how it probably wouldn't even be a division at the end of the year. So it's worth, Revisiting this now, while there are rumors of Faber getting a title shot at 135 against Cejudo, now Dana White's come out and said Cejudo needs to go and defend 125. It's all a giant confusing mess. I certainly don't think Faber deserves that title shot yet. Uh, you know, Peter Jan's there, Aljamain Sterling's there, uh, what have you. But back to 125, I, I guess we're both probably still pretty confident that Cejudo will be the 125 champion coming into the year. Yeah, and I think we're getting back to a position where we can start to feel good about 25 again because they just signed a couple of 25ers, uh, a couple that they released back. I know Brandon Moreno, who's friends with Henry Cejudo, is back, and uh, they signed a couple of other ones like Askar Askarov, uh, which are like fun 25ers. So it seems like they're more interested in it. Uh, we'll move to the other side uh, of 125, female Shevchenko. We both said she would still be champion. I, I think I can speak for you when I say we're both still pretty fucking confident she's going to be champion come the end of the year I, and maybe I, even into 2020. I, I agree with that, although Liz Carmouche is sort of interesting in, in that she could maybe take her down. But, yeah, I think that this is a, an easy one. Uh, I'm actually getting more excited for Shevchenko to come back up to 135. Um, I could even get into the idea of a third fight with Amanda Nunes, even though she's been on the losing end of two. She also isn't getting murked in the first round like every other person. Yeah, it would it would Nunes. also give them time to build up 25 contenders. Because I know that there's a couple of 25 contenders in there, right? Like Andrea Lee, I think is ranked like seven or eight. 
you know, with a win over Roxanne Matafari this weekend, Jennifer Maya would be like a fun two or three and one or something like that. So like there are a couple, but it, it, they're all like a couple of fights away. So like give them all some time. Uh, TJ Dillashaw was the 135 uh, pound men's champion. We both said he would be champion Oof. at the end of the year. <laughs> uh, so we both take the giant hit on that one. Not only did he lose the title promptly a week after we taped that, he also popped for steroids. So fuck him and fuck us. Mm-hmm. We're now both two for three. But I will ask you with Cejudo at 135, uh, do you feel confident he'll still be champion come the end of the year? Of course, being a dual champion, he really, I mean, if he defends 125 again, he might not even have to defend 135 this calendar yeah, year. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll defend it this year, so I, I think he will be, and, and that's why. Uh, Amanda Nunez, 135-pound champion. Gumby, you said she will be champion come the end of the year. Me, the giant idiot that I am, said, no, no, no. Holly Holmes will outpoint <laughs> her and beat her. Yes, I was wrong. Yeah, and I'm also going to say in that episode that I went back and listened to, I also predicted that they would have Cyborg fight somebody who is not on her level to waste the rest of her contract and watch her walk to Bellator. Um, I I said that there was opportunities that they wouldn't do that, but I also said that they would probably do that. So, uh, yeah, I feel real good about that one. Uh, Max Holloway, 145-pound champion. He, of course, took a fight at 155 earlier this year. We both predicted he would still be 145. Uh, he is fighting Frankie Edgar next. Is that correct? Yeah, he's fighting Frankie fighting Edgar next. not this yeah. weekend coming up, the weekend after. Yeah, so I still feel pretty good about that prediction. Yeah, me too. Uh, looking past Frankie Edgar, do you feel like there's anyone else at 45 that maybe could take it from him come, let's say, he fights at you know, November, December? Um, I mean, I like Volkanovski. I've been a big Volkanovski supporter. He went out there and took it to Aldo. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that he's the guy, but he could be the guy. Uh, Habib is the 155-pound champion. We both were confident that he would be the 155-pound He's fighting Dustin Poirier. Do you feel any different? No, I love that pick. I stick by it. I said, I, I'm pretty yep. sure I said in it, too, if he fights Tony Ferguson, I might be interested, but I don't expect him to. So, same here. Here's, here's, another, here's another one I fucked up. Uh, Woodley, would he be champion come the end of the year? You said no. You were correct. Usman went out and put a beating on him. I said yes. I liked him against Usman. I was wrong. Yeah, I actually even said that I liked Kamara Usman, uh, so not to toot my own horn, but uh, I like that one. I also don't, I think there are so many challengers in that division, I'm not sure Usman keeps it, right? Like, would you pick Usman over Masvidal? Would you pick Usman over uh, Colby Covington? Ah, I don't know. Uh, I think I do pick him over Masvidal. I probably lean Covington, but wouldn't be surprised if it kind of becomes like a a grapple battle, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's definitely, it feels like a looser division right now, but if Usman goes out and defends one or two times, we're, we're going to start talking about Usman as like, you know, an untouchable. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Robert Whitaker, uh, you said, I said, yes, I probably didn't think Israel Adesanya was ready at that point. Uh, how do you feel about that pick? And then I'll tell you how I feel. about that. I pick. feel a little bit worse about it. Uh, just because I, I don't love the way Adesanya looked against Anderson Silva. 
I feel better about it after the Gastelum fight, but still, I mean, like, Whitaker's so much better than Gastelum, and the fact that Gastelum gave him that back-and-forth battle, uh, I, I, I feel like that's probably not going to be correct in the end. Yeah, see, I don't know. See, it, it's funny. So this is our one unknown. We don't we don't have an answer to this yet, and actually coming up we'll have one more unknown. Uh, but I feel like Adesanya is the better striker. Whitaker coming off the big layoff. I wish at this point I said no, but time will tell on that. We'll revisit it in December. John Jones, we both predicted, would still be the champion at the end of the year, and we've been proven right twice. If he fights a third person this year, defends a third time, uh, do you still feel good about Jones being champion? Yeah, I mean, that third person is going to be like Dominic Reyes or something like that, and I like Dominic Reyes, but not enough to beat John Jones. He's entered that, that status where until he gets beat, uh, I don't pick against him. All right, Daniel Cormier is the heavyweight champion. Uh, we both thought he would be champion at the end of the year. He has not defended yet, but he fights Stipe in a few weeks. How are you feeling about that pick? I'm actually, the the closer that fight gets, the worse I feel about Cormier beating Stipe. I, I just remember breaking down the fight originally and saying, like, Stipe has the advantage because Cormier is not going to wrestle him. And, and it seemed unlikely that Cormier would tag him. I feel like it's even less unlikely that Cormier tags him in the second fight, right? And, and, and I do believe I I agree with that assessment. As well. Yeah, and I, I don't think he takes him down. So so am I back to feeling like Stipe should be the winner here? Possibly, and if that's the case, I, I mean I feel pretty uncomfortable saying that I think you know Cormier will still be the champ, especially if he wins and wins easy, and they set up a Jones fight. I mean that's two fights I would pick against him in. Uh, I feel the same exact way on that. So the final tally goes like this. Now, some of this could change because we had people we said would still be champion and who's to say Amanda Nunes doesn't go out there and gets upset in her next fight or, or what have you. But you are seven for eight right now. Just my TJ man. fucking I am, Dillashaw, man. TJ fucking I am, Dillashaw. <laughs> I am six for eight. And then we have two unknown. We differ on one of those, Whitaker. We're the same on Cormier. So no matter how you slice it, uh, you will win this particular battle. Uh, and then we'll, of course, check in in December and see how much worse we did. But you know what? Seven for eight, six for eight, pretty good percentages. So maybe people should listen to us when we talk. <laughs> that does it for our review of title predictions. We'll, of course, check back in at the end of the year. Gumby, there's a UFC this weekend. It's in San Antonio. I'd love to hear a breakdown of it, but I'd also like to hear if a company sponsors said breakdown. Well, of course, this UFC in San Antonio breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Head to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code FLOW for 20% off underwear that's changing the underwear game. It is no longer underwear that is just boxers. It is no no longer underwear that is just briefs. It is no longer underwear that is boxer briefs. Because let me tell you something, all three of those have problems when you're working out. If you're wearing boxers, they're probably moving all around and definitely don't have the support you need if you're wearing briefs or boxer briefs they're being crushed down extra sweaty sticking to your leg you know what i'm talking about sheath underwear promotes airflow to your cash and prizes and supports them so that you can feel comfortable and cool while you are training whatever it is you train uh so let's talk about ufc in san antonio in the main event i'm taking leon rocky edwards who is a negative 115 favorite over 
RDA, who's a plus 105 underdog. Look, I think RDA's had trouble with wrestlers in the past, and, and while Leon Edwards is a decent striker too, we've seen him grind a guy out or two, and I think that's probably how he gets it done against Dos Anjos here. Uh, in the co-main event, or close to the co-main event, I'm taking Juan Adams over Greg Hardy in what's basically a pick-em fight. Uh, I think Juan Adams has probably got just a slightly better gas tank, and we've seen Greg Hardy have trouble with the takedown game. I think that's Juan Adams' path to victory here. Tire him out drag him into deep waters, pound him out on the ground. Uh, in the third fight that I'm talking about here, I'm liking Dan Hooker over James Vick. Dan Hooker, a neg- negative 135 favorite to James Vick at plus 120. Uh, I think Hooker is critically underrated because of that loss to Edson Barboza. People are really writing him off on that one. I think he's got all the tools to get it done on the feed against Vic. I think Vic getting tagged a couple of times uh, bodes well for Dan Hooker. So in our preview here, I'm taking Leon Edwards over RDA, Juan Adams over Greg Hardy, and Dan Hooker over James Vic. Uh, I'm going to give a couple of thank yous before we end the show here. I want to give a quick thank you to ADK Fightwear, Sisu Mouthguards, Sheath Underwear, and Maroon Social. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app. I also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We could not do what we do without them. We also want to remind you to check out our Twitter. We've been giving away prizes there, doing all kinds of fun trivia and little tidbits week to week. So check us out at Top Turtle MMA over on Twitter. And I was Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.